Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and what's going down there. We'll be talking about the NBA. We'll be talking about some international soccer and contact sports, or combat sports, rather. Also, if you have not heard, we are now on Instagram at the same handle as our Twitter, at JTimeSports. So please give that a follow, because I post a lot of updates as I do on Twitter there as well and a lot of breaking news there as well so definitely give that a look now i hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something guys and welcome into the show First of all, I just want to say I love that intro music. Uh, shout out to Gabe Johnson for providing the intro and interlude track that you hear throughout the entire podcast. Um, so if you have any needs, uh, he works out of Houston. If you have any musical needs and stuff like that, it definitely give Gabe a holler. Uh, if you need the contact info, just DM me or something of that nature. Um, absolutely excited for this show. Um, I was going to do a mock draft special episode, and that still might happen if a major trade were to occur, but I'm going to rock with it as of now. So, of course, last year, I was pretty good on my mock draft. I hit 18 of 32 people in the first round perfectly, and I nailed 25 of 32 positions. So, like, for instance, I had Makai Becton going to Cleveland and Jedrick Willis, Jedrick Wills, going to New York and they end up being flipped. Now they were both right in terms of position, but the Jets had Makai Becton graded higher than Cleveland. I said stuff like, uh, I remember I said stuff like, doesn't Makai Becton feel like Cleveland? Because his big concern was he may eat himself out the league. So I was saying, doesn't Makai Becton feel like Cleveland? Well, in terms of, in actuality, he felt like New York, which, I mean, looking back on it, actually made more sense. Um, and then Cleveland are now getting to act together with their organization and stuff of that nature. So my apologies to Cleveland for saying you're going to clean it up. I forgot about the Jets. That's that's on me. But we are back with another official mock draft. So I told you guys a few weeks ago that I was going to have probably three of these. Definitely two. I was going to have the initial one, then this one. And then I said that if something big happens with something dead like Carolina, I may throw in another top, you know, I may throw in another mock draft and do like a baby one with like top 12. But this is the official one on the register. This is the one that I am going to look back and say, okay, how well did I do? So next Friday, of course, the first round would have happened next Thursday. And so I can go and say, okay, I hit that one. I hit that one. I hit that one. I hit that one. Missed that one, etc. Um... I have a couple of trades in my mock draft, something I don't normally do. Usually I just pick one through 32, but the picks, I only did the trades I've been hearing. So for instance, um, New England moves up. I won't tell you to where, but New England moves up from my board because I've been hearing that New England's going to move up and they're going to move up to a specific area of the draft. So um, I had New England moving up. I had Arizona moving out because Arizona is one of the teams I've been hearing strongly, along with Philadelphia, of moving out. Um, now I didn't I didn't move Philly because Philly needs a football team, so I figured draft whoever the hell is the best available player there. But um, 
I moved Arizona out because I've been here in Arizona, may move out, especially because if the draft goes how it should go, their position of need is readily available a few picks down and they can easily add two or three more picks of their cachet or their cash rather and have the ability to go get a player, have the ability to draft the draft picks. They have a good, young, aggressive GM. And in that division, you're going to have to hit your draft picks because you're going to pay your stars to keep them, to keep up. And you're going to have to get inexpensive in other spots, still having talent. So I had Arizona moving out. But without further ado, it is now time for the Just In Time Sports Year 2 Mock Draft the official mock draft so this is like i said this is the one i'm gonna grade myself on drum roll please and the draft is now open with the first pick in the 2021 nfl draft i have jacksonville selecting trevor lawrence this is the obvious one this has been the number one pick since his freshman year it was just a matter of what team he was going to but trevor lawrence goes number one to jacksonville at pick two, I have Zach Wilson, quarterback BYU, going to the New York Jets at pick two. Now, this is one of those ones you started hearing three, four weeks ago that really picked up a lot of steam with Zach Wilson going to the Jets. And then when they traded Sam Darnold, that basically confirmed the reports that Zach Wilson was going to the Jets. Because if you don't know, you don't trade your current quarterback, especially when Sam even the Jets admit has some talent, has a lot of talent. It's just, it didn't work in New York for whatever reason. And so you don't move on from that guy unless you are 99% sure you're gonna pick who you're gonna pick in the hit spot. So Zach Wilson of BYU goes to the Jets. With the third pick, the San Francisco 49ers draft QB Mac Jones from Alabama. Now, this is a pick that would have sounded insane all of two months ago uh, with Mac Jones going three because it's not people compare it to Joe Burrow. People want to say we didn't have these criticisms of Joe Burrow. Well, we saw Joe Burrow do a lot more magical stuff than we seen with Mac. Mac pretty much is drop back, throw the ball, drop back. Divine Smith is wide open. And I spoke last week about how the rep around Justin Fields was, oh, he didn't throw off his first read. Well, Mac Jones literally threw like something, almost something crazy, like 82% or 90%, somewhere in that super high range to his first read. So if Devontae Smith was the number one target on the route, he locked on Devontae Smith and he threw to Devontae Smith. Now, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. Who the rest of that crew of Bama is so talented, it didn't matter. Um, that he would sit there and lock on his receiver. That could be a problem in the NFL. And I'm sure the Santa Hand trying to coach him out of that, especially if the plan is to have Jimmy Garoppolo there for a year. They can coach Mac Jones out of some bad habits. But he will be there at number three. I almost went Trey Lance here because Trey Lance has the highest unknown upside, and because you're keeping Garoppolo for a year. Now Lance learns the system, and now you have a super quarterback, but they go Mac Jones here, who looks a lot like Matt Ryan, who plays a lot like Kirk Cousins, and so they go Mac Jones there. At four was the first almost trade of the draft, which was Atlanta trading out of four, but they decide to stay at four, and they get Kyle Pitts tied in out of Florida. They draft the best, of player, uh, best available player on the board. 
Kyle Pitts is a perennial all-pro. In my opinion, he's a perennial pro bowler. In very short order, he will be the best tight end in football. I give it two, three years, maybe. And Atlanta's position to meet a need was corner. So in a spot where the first corner off the board does not go until the tens, you were gonna draft a corner. Like it, it felt like an overdraft to go anywhere else. So they decided to go Kyle Pitts of Florida and just try to outscore people in the NFC South, especially with Tampa Bay running around. Uh, New Orleans is going to be able to score. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. You've got Sean Payton, a coach. And now Sam Donald gets with Joe Brady. So the NFC South, you're, you're going to have to score points to compete. At pick five, the Cincinnati Bengals select Panay Sewell. Tackle out of Oregon. This was fairly easy. And I hope it's as easy for me as it was for the Bengals. Joe Burrow helped debut the new uniforms. And a lot of people notice he has a fancy new addition to his body. It is a big red scar down his knee that is a scar from his ACL surgery. And Bengals, don't don't overthink this. This is really easy. Don't I know I know Jamar Chase is there. I know you've seen what they did at LSU together. I'm aware, but sometimes you have to do what's ugly to do what's right. Jamar Chase would be the sexy pick. Jamar Chase would be the pick that people would go, oh my God, they're gonna do it again in Cincinnati. The problem is, if Joe Burrow is hurt again by week six and you have, I don't know, insert a backup in the league and say Ryan Finley, it doesn't matter Jamar Chase is there. Because now, Ryan Finley's not getting protected, so Jamar Chase ain't getting the ball, and Joe Burrow is hurt again, so you may be looking like we have an injury-prone quarterback. Don't be don't be heroes here. Draft Panay Sewell. And so I'm going to go with the Bengals taking, like I said, Panay Sewell out of Oregon. With the sixth pick, the Miami Dolphins take the first receiver off the board, and they go Devonta Smith, wide receiver out of Alabama. Now, I almost went Jamar Chase here, but I think the coaching staff is trying to make uh, Tua Tagovailoa as comfortable as possible. So by doing that, you get a receiver that his biggest moment in college football was to throw his freshman year. Who did he throw it to? Fellow freshman, Devonta Smith. You also decide to get him an Alabama player. Like I said, they will play together at Bama. You also decide to get him a guy he's used to throwing to, a guy used to his temperament, a guy that already is used to following him, and you get Devontae Smith out of Alabama. Plus, they have a very creative offensive coordinator where they can move Devontae Smith around and try to hide his 166-pound frame. At pick seven, the Detroit Lions draft Jamar Chase, wide receiver at LSU. Now, I think that Jamar Chase is better than Devontae Smith. I think Devontae Smith may end up being the third or fourth, maybe even the fifth best receiver in this draft. However, Jamar Chase goes to Detroit instead of Miami because of that Alabama connection at six. And he goes seven instead of starting to fall down the draft board because Jared Goff needs to work. Now, I almost went Micah Parsons here. Look, Dan Campbell is a self-proclaimed meathead. So he would have loved a guy that just runs around and causes havoc in Micah Parsons. However, he also knows he needs to make the quarterback that he's going to pay a lot of money to over the next two or three years work. And so Jamar Chase goes to the Detroit Lions at pick seven. We have a trade. This is the first trade in the draft. And this was this is the area of the draft I've been hearing. So through reports and through my own research, I've been starting to hear that the 
two quarterbacks are going to fall. That's going to be three fast, and then they're going to start slipping. That the other two are going to, whoever the two are out, are going to start slipping. Well, if you start putting the pieces together, it's Lawrence one, Wilson two, Mac three, and then it's two, two, the odd man out, Justin Fields and Trey Lance. They start falling, which means the teams under them have an opportunity to grab their franchise quarterback. And so in this scenario, it's Rashawn Slater. The Bengals aren't going to move. Okay. So if you look at the Dolphins, they're not going to give the Patriots a franchise quarterback. The Lions are just going to draft who they draft. They had to made a couple of trades. And so the Patriots slide up to eight, jump right in front of the Denver Broncos, and they trade with the Carolina Panthers, and they draft Justin Fields, quarterback out of Ohio State. That is, so the Patriots lock in their franchise quarterback of the future. They sit him, preferably one year behind Cam Newton, learn the NFL game, learn Josh McDaniel's system. They can run very similar offenses for Fields and Cam because at their peaks, there are decently similar players in terms of what they can do on a field. Fields is a lot more accurate than Cam, but Cam is a lot more of a physical runner. So they have similarities that Josh McDaniels can use to really show Fields how to be a pro. And of course, Cam Newton is there as a guiding force. At pick nine, the Denver Broncos get their quarterback of the future. They draft Trey Lance, quarterback out of North Dakota State. So maybe they would have preferred Justin Fields, but I'm hearing a lot of teams have Fields and Lance close. So if you think Fields is the second best quarterback, you have Lance third. If you think Fields is the fourth best quarterback, you have Lance fifth. And I'm hearing a lot of teams have Fields and Lance very close to each other. And so the Denver Broncos say, eh, we would have preferred Fields, but we'll take Trey Lance at number nine and officially end the Drew Locke era after next season. So maybe Drew Locke plays next season because Lance isn't ready yet, but you officially end or at least put a timer on the Drew Locke era. At number 10, the Dallas Cowboys select Patrick Sertain the second cornerback out of Alabama. This is another one of those. It should be easy. But hey, with Jerry Jones, you never quite know. Obviously, we've already said, we've already heard that he's fallen in love with Kyle Pitts. We've heard the audio from their interview that, I mean, Jerry Jones is practically gushing over the thought of having Kyle Pitts. He was telling them all the great things they can do with Dak and all the other stuff around the offense and how much he'd love it, how much he'd love for him to be a cowboy. But he can't wait for him to see what he's going to do in the NFL. Again, this is one of those. It should be simple. You have a terrible defense. Draft the best. Draft the position of need because your back seven is terrible. But hey, with Jerry, you never quite know. Steven, yeah, you, you, can get some, you can get a better idea with Steven Jones. So with Jerry, you don't quite know. And But I think Jerry and Steven, mostly Steven, are going to have a rational head here and go Patrick Sertain the second, especially with no super big name office weapon available. At 11, the Giants will do giant-like things. They are a boring, blue-collar, smart franchise for the most part. And they do a boring, blue-collar, smart thing. And they drive for Sean Slater, the tackle out of Northwestern. Now, the Giants need tackles and guards, and Rashawn Slater can play tackle and guard, either tackle, either guard. And so this is a situation where he comes to camp, and you find who's the weakest offensive lineman, and Rashawn Slater now starts in his spot. And so that is a great move for the Giants to help the development of Daniel Jones and obviously keep clearing holes for Saquon Barkley and allow their new toy, Kenny Galladay, time to get down the field. At pick 12, 
The Philadelphia Eagles select Jalen Waddle, wide receiver at Alabama. They are in need of a football team, but guess what Jalen Hurts went to school? Alabama. And so he's he's thrown on Jalen Waddle in the past. Now it was two years ago when Jalen Waddle was a freshman, but he does he is familiar with Jalen Waddle's ability. And also Jalen Hurts is familiar, like I said, throwing to him. And the Eagles need a team, and they already released Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson is now in the Chargers. And last I checked, I don't consider anybody on the Eagles a number one receiver. And so the Eagles take Jalen Waddle, receiver out of Alabama. At 13, the Chargers select Christian Derisaw, offensive tackle, Virginia Tech. Now, the offensive tackle goes here because they are a left tackle and a healthy Derwin James away from being a very complete team with the Chargers. And so we have a new coordinator. We have a new head coach, rather, that used to be a coordinator. He's going to want both sides of the ball to be pristine so that way he can come in and have success. He was the quarterback. He actually wasn't a coordinator. He was the quarterback's coach or the offensive coordinator quarterback's coach, which, I mean, it's the Rams, for the Rams during his time in L.A. So he stays in the city and just moved over. Uh, Brandon Staley uh, was the coordinator. And so he's now the head coach in the Chargers. And he's going to want to solidify his offensive line. So he picks Christian Derisaw with the Chargers. At pick 14, the tight, the Vikings sorry, select Elijah Vera Tucker, offensive tackle out of USC. So he is the last of what they're considering the big three of tackle in this draft. So from all the reports I've read, there's three tackles here everybody loves. It's Panay Sewell, it is Rashawn Slater, and it is Elijah Vera Tucker, where these guys have no holes where these guys have no weakness, um, where these guys really are just, they are ready to go prospect day one, you should get 10 great years out of them kind of guys. Uh, Christian Derrishaw has a couple of holes in his game. They're not big holes by any means, so I still have him going above Tucker. Um, but they are they are small holes. If, they, if you were to poke holes in them, they're very small. Uh, maybe Tucker goes 13, keep an LA kid in LA. But I would have Derrick Shaw at 13, Elijah Vera Tucker at 14. At 15, where the Patriots used to be but are now the Carolina Panthers, they draft J.C. Horn, cornerback out of South Carolina. So in this situation, Carolina is in need of a left tackle in a corner. Well, they go, huh, Penesel's gone, and we can build four or five draft picks for the Patriots to come up. We read a tackle or a corner. In their head, they're thinking one of the big four tackles or one of the best two or three corners will be there. And so they end up missing on all the tackles. However, they end up with a corner in J.C. Horn, who has been fine with the draft board, has ridiculous numbers. If you've seen his um, if you've seen his numbers against some of the top receivers he's faced, uh, including J- including. Elijah Moore, including he had a good day against some other top receivers. He had a good day against uh, Jalen Waddle as well. He's had good days against some top receivers in the conference. We have our second and final trade in the draft. We have the Indianapolis Colts trading with the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals move down to 21 and pick up three other additional picks. And the Colts move up to 16 to draft Rashad Bateman, wide receiver out of Minnesota. So in this scenario, of course, the Colts have just picked up Carson Wentz via trade from the Philadelphia Eagles. 
and they decide that they're going to need a receiver post T.Y. Hilton. Now they have Michael Pittman, which is a big physical receiver, but they are like, we're going to add one more weapon into the cache. Now, Micah Parsons is still sitting there. So there is a possibility that this pick is entirely wrong and that they, if they do trade up, they come up to get Micah Parsons. But considering that this trade is not official, I have a higher chance of hitting the pick if I say Rashad Bateman. <laughs> so selfishly, I would say Rashad Bateman here. Although if they were to trade up and Micah Parsons was still there, I would assume they would go. They actually know they wouldn't go Micah Parsons because they already have Darius Leonard. Never mind. I have confidence in this pick. A lot of confidence in this pick. They trade up to draft Rashad Bateman, wide receiver out of Minnesota. At pick 17, the Las Vegas Raiders select Micah Parsons, linebacker out of Penn State. The Raiders need defensive talent, whatever it is. They got rid of Maurice Hurst. They got rid of Arden Key. They fired the defensive coordinator. They moved up other pieces in that uh, defense. So I think they go Michael Parsons here. He'd be the best by far defensive player on the board. Christian Barmore is an option because they did, like I said, get rid of Maurice Hurst. So they could just turn around and put Christian Barmore at the tackle position. But I think they draft by far the best defensive player on the board. And that is Michael Parsons out of Penn State. At pick 18, the Dolphins select Christian Barmore, another Alabama player, but it is a definite position of need. He's he would and now he would be the best defensive player on the board by far. He is an absolute animal. He made a lot of money for Bama late in for a lot of money at Bama rather late in the season, including national championship game where he was flat out unblockable by Ohio State. And so Christian Barmore, uh, defensive lineman, goes to Alabama. He's mostly an interior guy, maybe a 3-4 end, but I would see him definitely as more of a defensive tackle. Not a nose tackle, but definitely a defensive tackle kind of guy. And 19, the Washington football team select Jeremiah Uwasu Karamoa, linebacker out of Notre Dame. So this was more of a need pick. The Washington football team already have a pretty good defense. They have a couple of good receivers. They have Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. And since they couldn't pick up one of the other big time quarterbacks, they may wait till round two to get a Davis Mills, to get a Kellen Mond, to get somebody that may need a little bit more developing and sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick for a year. You develop and then we'll figure it out from there. And so they go with Jeremiah Uwasu Karamoa and continue to solidify one of the best defenses in the NFL. At pick 20, we have Elijah Moore, wide receiver out of Ole Miss. Now, this is a need and a future pick. Again, Chicago, same position to Washington. You couldn't get one of the big four quarterbacks, or big five quarterbacks, rather. So you may wait for a Davis Mills, a Kellen Mon, a Kyle Trask. Um, there's some other good quarterback name prospects that are out there in round two. You may wait and go with them. You've already committed to Andy Dalton for a year. So, like I said, it's very same similar situation to Washington. You draft your quarterback in the second round, try to develop him through the, your development process, and hope that you can still land a pretty good player. Now, pick 21 is now the Cardinals. Due to the fact of the Arizona, due to the fact of the Colts trade, they picked up a third rounder in 2023, a 127 pick in this draft and a fourth round in 2022 to slide back to 16 and they draft Caleb Farley cornerback out of Virginia Tech now Caleb has concerns of his back and 
Pad back, did get a clean bill of health, which is the only reason why, according to several people I trust, he's not the number one corner on the board. He was the number one corner on the board when he opted out. Uh, even after the season, people were starting to rumble about Sertain being number one, but a lot of people still had Farley number one until the back concern came out, and then he started to slip a little bit. So in this scenario, he gets taken by the Cardinals and pick 21, which is going to help them replace Patrick Peterson, who walked to the Minnesota Vikings. Pick 22 is Greg Newsom, cornerback out of Northwestern. Now, they lost Odori Jackson, or they released Odori Jackson, rather. And so Mike Vrabel doesn't want his defense down for long. He picks up the best cornerback on the board available, and that would be Greg Newsom out of Northwestern. You know, he's coached tough. You know, he's coached hard. Same school and same uh, rep that Rashawn Slater has, that they are tough, hard-nosed, working kids because of that Northwestern program. High academic, so you know they're smart, can pick up a playbook, and things of that nature. At pick 23, we have Quiddy Pay, Edge out of Michigan. Now, this is to solidify the pass rush with the Jets. I believe they picked up a edge rusher. That sounds incredibly right. But even if they did, you draft now the best by far player on the board in Quiddy Pay. He has a little bit of development to do. But, hey, Rob Asala is there, and he is going to help him out big time. And so I think Quiddy Pay, the edge from Michigan, goes to the New York Jets. At pick 24, we have our first and only running back off the board in the first round. We have Najee Harris, halfback out of Alabama. Now, this was a pure position pick with Najee Harris. The Pittsburgh Steelers are in a world of trouble in terms of they can't really run the ball. And the Pittsburgh Steelers win Super Bowls by running the ball and playing defense. Well, the defense is there. So at this point, they need to run the football, and they draft Najee Harris out of Alabama. He's a high-character guy. He's used to blocking, used to putting his nose to the grind, used to basically being NFL coach with Nick Saban. And so the Steelers try and fix their run game with Najee Harris from Alabama. At pick 25, the Jacksonville Jaguars select Trayvon Morig, safety from TCU. Now, this was a need pick, but he's also a hell of a player. Uh, they already have their quarterback of the future in Trevor Lawrence. And so now they try to get him some defensive help because in that division, you are going to need it with the Titans having good offense. The Colts obviously picking up Carson Wentz. Um, you're going to need it in that division. I mean, even if Deshaun Watson plays for the Texans, that's going to be another team where you are going to need defensive people in order to stay in games that Trevor Lawrence may not be able to gun you out of just yet. At pick 26, we have Jason Owa, Edge out of Penn State. Now, this is a pick that I debated in several different ways. Now, I know the Browns just picked up Jadavion Clowney. However, we all know Jadavion Clowney's history. The odds of him going 16 straight games with no injuries and playing every snap is about zero. And we can go from there. And so in this scenario, they pick up Jason Owa, which is the edge out of Penn State. Baltimore is at pick 27, and they draft Terrace Marshall, wide receiver out of LSU. Well, it's Baltimore and wide receivers, so the need and the reason is pretty much self-explanatory. And he's a big body. He can block. 
He's a physical receiver. He can catch in traffic. It's perfect for Lamar Jackson style. And the Baltimore Ravens select Terrace Marshall, wide receiver at LSU. At pick 28, the New Orleans Saints select Asante Samuel Jr., cornerback out of Florida State. Now, this was a pick to give their top corner, Marshawn Lattimore, another option. Also, it is designed to give them plenty of room to maneuver later in the draft. So, obviously, when you have a guy in Asante Samuel Jr., he's got a pedigree, obviously. And he's used to the lights. He's used to the scene. And so, Asante Samuel Jr., he's a hell of a cornerback, goes to the New Orleans Saints. With pick 29, I have Rondell Moore of Purdue, receiver, going to the Green Bay Packers. Now, this was more of a luxury pick. I won't call it a need pick. It's like a luxury pick because the Packers already have a great offense, obviously. But what they did want to do was diversify their offensive scheme. And so they will decide to draft Rondell Moore and give Devontae Adams a legitimate number two wide receiver. The Buffalo Bills go with Aziz Ojalari, the edge rusher out of Georgia. The Buffalo Bills pass rush was terrible. I don't see now they could draft running back here. They could go Travis Etienne here, but I decided to go away from that one and go with a defensive need, considering that Sean McDermott is a defensive coach. And so they go with Aziz Ojalari, the edge rusher out of Georgia. The Kansas City Chiefs had a tackle problem in the uh, Super Bowl. And so they try to solve it with Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle out of Oklahoma State. Now, this pick is designed to help with their tackle issue. I know they signed a long brother, the one that came out of retirement, but that doesn't feel like a long-term solution. Even if Tevin doesn't start this year, you can have him learn behind some great pros and how to play the game at the NFL level. And so Tevin goes to the Kansas City Chiefs and gets a chance to block for Patrick Mahomes. And then pick 32 and the final pick of the mock draft Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the defending champ Buccaneers, go with Jalen Phillips, edge out of Miami of Florida. Now, this pick was a little concerning because he has an injury history. And so I actually would have had him earlier. But again, he would have yeah, he had injury history. I don't know if that would scare teams away. Tampa Bay is a little bit of a reclamation kind of retirement home these days. And with his ability to be able to sit behind somebody, he may, in fact, be perfect for the opportunity there in Tampa Bay. Uh, they retain Shaq Barrett on a contract. However, JPP is aging, so he can learn and get spot duty for JPP and Shaq Barrett and really learn how to play the game at the NFL level. But that is the official Justin Time Sports mock draft. A couple of trades. I didn't do any trades last year and hit pretty well. And even my trades this year was more of the only trade that really affected anything, in my opinion, is New England going eight. Because then automatically that moves a quarterback to eight. Instead of if I would have sat there, then a quarterback doesn't go at eight. They go at nine. And then the other quarterback more than likely goes at 15. So it just changed the order up a little bit. Um, And then Arizona going back to 21, allowing Indy to come to 16, changes which receivers go when, in my opinion. But it doesn't really change the draft board for a lot of people. Um... in my opinion, hardly at all. So I'm really excited for the draft, obviously, and I cannot wait 
Uh, speaking of draft, let's just touch on some news, some NFL news in general, really. Uh, Justin Fields is battling epilepsy. It's a genetic thing in his family. And the doctors believe he may have already outgrown it. Uh, as long as he takes his medicine, he's fine. He hasn't had any episodes on the field. It hasn't. He hasn't missed the game because of it or anything like that. Um, as long as he takes care of himself physically, takes his medicine, he'll be fine. I have no concerns about it. It wouldn't affect my draft board at all. Uh, uh, Alan Fanica, who's a Hall of Fame guard, said he played with it his whole career, and it never. He never missed a game either. As long as you take your medicine, you're fine. Most people in Justin Fields' family outgrow it in their 20s. So he's in his early 20s, so he seemed to be on the, on the other side of it. But that is some news that broke. He's been confirming the teams like, yes, I am dealing with epilepsy. Uh, Devontae Smith is 166 pounds. Now, I have him going sixth in the draft. And I have him going sixth in the draft because I believe Miami is smart enough to keep him from being abused at 166 pounds. But 166 pounds for an NFL wide receiver at six feet is incredibly concerning because that's small in college, that's small in high school. And so that's miniature uh, anorexic in the NFL. And so he's gonna get jammed a lot. He's gonna have to have a smart coordinator willing to get him off the ball and have the ability to get him off the ball because otherwise he's going to get his face jammed off a lot at the NFL level. Now, it's a couple of rule changes. The NFL has relaxed some of the rule restrictions. So if you guys remember, like running backs couldn't wear anything under 20. Uh, receivers had to wear in a certain range. Well, now they've relaxed it. So single digit running backs are now allowed. Um, more number freedom. That's why you didn't see a lot of receivers running. I don't think any receiver had a single digit. Now that I think about it, um, I could be wrong. But I'm trying to think in my head of the top receivers in football, and I don't remember a ton of single digits because I, I know when they were showing their photos that they were showing guys in their college numbers back in single digits. Um, yeah, so now running backs and receivers are with single digits. Uh, they relaxed some of the linebacker and safety rules and stuff like that. Uh, Tom Brady's not a fan. He was he was very open about not liking it. Um, the reason being, he said it's like it's a competitive thing. And the reason is for his whole NFL 21-year career or 20-year career up to this point, if you see a number, you know that's a linebacker. If you see a number, that's a safety. If you see a number, that's a defensive lineman, etc. Well, with linebackers and safeties and corners being able to wear similar numbers now, and a lot of guys now, they're 6'4 linebackers, 6'3 safeties. You know, they look body type-wise the same. Now, you can identify, okay, that is a – that is – such and such that is Jabril Cox or that is Buda Baker for the Cardinals okay cool I know 32 but that used to be now this 44 is now a corner and it used to be a linebacker so now the blocking scheme is off and he said that get ready for a lot of bad football because people want to know who to block now a lot of players won't change their numbers especially guys on rookie contracts etc because you have to buy out the stock of your jersey so when Calvin Johnson, not Calvin Johnson, when Chad Johnson went to Chad Ochocinco in order for the for the league to officially change his jersey, he had to he had to buy out all the Reebok stock. I'm sure it cost a couple of million dollars to do it because the NFL is not going to take the loss on you deciding you want your number changed or you deciding you want your name changed or whatever. You know, you have to buy out the stock of the jerseys. 
And then they have a new rule where if two passes are completed behind the line of scrimmage, it results in a loss of down. Now I'm not sure about that rule in general, in terms of just, I have to look at it a little bit more, um, in terms of how that affects like laterals, for instance. So if you lateral the ball twice, you automatically are in the penalty for you're automatically losing a down. I, like I said, I have to look into the rule a little bit more. It was one of those rules where I was like, oh, that's an interesting switch. It's an interesting guideline, I guess, to try and prevent so many trick plays and lateral plays, stuff like that. So, and honestly, that kind of helps the defense for the first time. And then the point of emphasis is now taunting. So, you know how there's... Yeah, I'm, I'm reading on the rule now. Oh, okay. All right. So, what I what it says now. Okay, so reading a little now. So, you remember when Tom Brady played the Rams and he threw a pass, caught it, and then threw it again to Mike Evans? Well, that's a penalty. But it used to be a penalty in the sense of, oh, it's just a regular penalty. It's 10 yards or whatever. But teams were declining it because it would give you another down effectively and in the same. So, I mean, not in the same spot, but you had a chance to convert. Well, now that's a loss of down penalty. Okay. So, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Helps the defense out. Helps the coaching staffs out. And the point of emphasis, like I said, this year is taunting. So, expect to see a lot more taunting calls, uh, especially the first few weeks of the season, until the league adjusts. It always takes players a, a few weeks, about a month, month and a half. To adjust to okay, which crew is going to call taunting doing this? Which crew is going to call taunting doing that? Etc. 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 How far can we push this? How far can we push that? It's like I said, it's going to take a few weeks for everybody to get adjusted, but eventually everyone will. But up next, we are going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down in the association. Alrighty guys and welcome in. I know that last segment was a little long-winded, but hey, I love the draft and I had to stick some news in there. And so I thought I'd make a draft episode its own episode. And if a big trade happens, it will be its own episode. And we'll have to disregard with everything I just said. But it, that is the official Justin Time Sports mock draft as of right now. So and we're going to talk about the NBA now. And of course, as always, let's take a look at those standings. We have the 76ers, the Nets, the Bucks, Knicks, Atlanta, Boston, Miami, Charlotte, Indiana, and now Washington. And then on the West, we have Utah, Phoenix, the Clippers, Nuggets, Lakers, Portland, Dallas, Memphis, San Antonio, Golden State. So, a little bit of movement in the standings, obviously. You have a team like the Knicks on an eight-game win streak. You've got Knicks fans in the media actually claiming them again. For the first time in years, Knicks fans actually care about the Knicks. Because usually by this time, they're out of the playoff hunt. 
And so the Knicks are currently the four seed and will have home court advantage over Atlanta in the playoffs, which would be the first time they would have home court advantage in a series since Carmelo Anthony circa 2013, somewhere in there. So absolutely huge for the Knicks. Um, I don't subscribe to the belief that the NBA is better when the Knicks are better. I don't think anybody in my age group does because the Knicks have been bad my entire life besides about a four-year window. In which case, they weren't great, but they were interesting. They had mellow. They were interesting. But from the time of my birth, basically in 97, Patrick Ewing leaves the Knicks in 99 and 2000. The Knicks have been bad ever since. And then, like I said, they were mildly interesting for about three to four seasons with Melo. Not great, but interesting. So I don't subscribe to the belief that the NBA is better when the Knicks are better. Uh, they, I don't care about the Knicks. I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I respect the Knicks. The, the Garden is the Mecca of basketball. And I respect their history with Phil Jackson and Patrick Ewing and Mark Jackson and Carmelo Anthony. It's part of their history. Like, I respect it. It's just they don't drive me to a TV set if it's just the Knicks if you catch them adrift Miami is in the 7th seed right now they're on a 3 game win streak the Wizards have charged and they are now on a 6 game win streak and have charged their way into the play in tournament currently sitting at 10th about a half a game above Chicago so that is huge for Washington I mean you had Bradley Bill and Russell Westbrook yeah, I mean, yes, the rest of the team around them is absolutely horrid, and the GM of the Wizards should be doing everything in his power to get them at least a third dependable piece. Maybe I, I mean a third star would be hard, but you can get them a third dependable piece. You can get them a twenty point per game guy, a seventeen and eight guy, something where they know they can get off the bus, and they have a third guy's going to come with them every night. Out west, the top two remain the top two in Utah and Phoenix. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm shocked they held, they're going to hold it all season. The Lakers are still not falling down the standings. They're currently sitting at fifth, and we start off with home court disadvantage against the Nuggets. But with a healthy LeBron, a healthy, a healthy Anthony Davis, especially minus Jamal Murray now for Denver, I would have Lakers winning that series if it were to come to fruition. And, but the Nuggets have won four straight. The Clippers have looked great, especially with Paul George. And the Nuggets are rolling with Jokic. Now, we're going to talk about just some news going down with the association. So, obviously, Anthony Davis returned last night. Didn't look great. Uh, I believe he went something like 2 for 10. But that's expected. He has he's missed his last 30 games. This is his first real NBA action since that point. Yes, he's been working on court activities. But that is not the pace and space of an NBA game. And so, he did not look great. Uh, they lost by 5 last night to the Mavs. Uh, he only played 15. Yeah, he scheduled for 15 minutes all in the first half. No second half action at all. And so he got his 10 shots up. He was, you know, a very aggressive trying to get his shots to go just to see, just to get the feel back, knock some of the rust off. And LeBron is close. Uh, now the reports are starting to come out that two weeks after the injury, he wanted to come back. The Lakers said, no, you're not. And so he has been rehabbing and resting. And he's very close. I would guess anywhere from seven to 10 days from now. Um, that was pretty much the timeline for originally, was that they were about seven to 10 days apart. The Anthony Davis came back yesterday. So if LeBron's not back by May 1st, that would be concerning. But I expect anywhere between April 28th and May 1st, we'll start, we'll have a LeBron date. Uh, it may not be May 1st, but we'll have a definitive date of he's going to return blank. So that is huge 
for the Lakers and the NBA in general. The ratings are down this year. I believe the NBA ratings are down something like 50% over the past two years. Um, now, that could be pandemic-related. That can be interest-related. We did have a massive break. We had a lot of sports last year simultaneously because teams trying to get their leagues in or leagues trying to get their games in. You have... A lot of different reasons could be political reasons, but the NBA ratings are down about 50% and LeBron is a driver of ratings. He has been every location he has been since probably high school. Now the MVP race is heating up or is coming to a conclusion. A little bit of both actually. There's only about anywhere from 14 to 17 games left depending on your schedule in the season. And my top three for MVP right now is Jokic, Embiid, and Steph. Now, Steph cannot win it. I'm going to just end this now. Steph can't win because his team is currently the 10th seed in the NBA. On the old playoff format, he would not have a playoff spot. But under the current one, he's sitting three games above a Pelicans team that should be higher. But he is in 10th place. You can't be in 10th place and win the MVP. Sorry, so Steph cannot win. That would leave Jokic and Embiid, and I would give the nod right now to Jokic because Jokic has been there every game. He has them in the fourth seed in the West, and he down Jamal Murray, and he's and he's been like I said there every game. He doesn't he doesn't have Embiid miss games. He doesn't have Steph miss game. LeBron miss games. Harden's miss game. KD's miss game. Kyrie's miss games. Kawhi's miss is currently missing games. Paul George has been out, so all these guys have been out at some point during the season except for Nikola Jokic and that's why I would give him the nod right now MVP although Joel Embiid keeps going crazy like this he may end up taking it and setting a new well not a new precedent a new outlier year in terms of who wins the MVP by missing so many games um, another contender for me is Chris Paul now he won't win it because of his raw counting numbers but he has a team that missed the playoffs and the play-in tournament last year in Phoenix they add Chris Paul, and now they are currently the number two seed in the West. Now, I remember Oklahoma City was the fourth seed in the West last year, fourth or fifth, and they are currently well, no long, were no longer seen on the standings because no one cares how bad they are. All they did was remove Chris Paul. All Phoenix did was add Chris Paul, and their lives have basically flipped around. So we have concrete proof that Chris Paul is incredibly valuable. However, he won't get it because his counting numbers aren't that spectacular. Now, speaking of those injuries we were referring to, uh, James Harden has had a complete reset of his hamstring. So he was working out uh, on court activities, I assume, prior to the Pelicans game because he was at the game. And his hamstring locked back up, reactivated it. And so according to Steve Nash, he's back to square one. So he was already out about 10 days with it the first round. So this might be another two weeks playoffs are right around the corner three to four weeks away and so this could be a problem for the Nets if Harden who's never been the world's best conditioning decide can't go and sorry for the playoffs but he couldn't really run because his hamstring and so now he's in trouble in terms of his diet it's just a lot what could happen to the Nets with James Harden down Kevin Durant who has this thigh bruise is holding him out now but that should be solved in a couple of games. And so I'm not really worried about that one. But the James Harden one is concerning because James doesn't miss games. So if James is missing games, he's truly in pain. Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks suffered what turned out to be 
a very blessing of a ankle sprain. When I first saw it, he shot a floater. I believe he landed on Julius Randle's ankle or Mitchell Robinson's. And I thought it was a high ankle sprain. And he and that was four to six weeks and basically kissed the hawk season goodbye. Uh, they've had terrible injury luck all season. Absolutely horrible in Atlanta. It is amazing they have a fifth seed. They have had horrible injury luck. I think Nate McMillan should be coach of the year at this point. It should be easily Nate McMillan coach of the year or Doc Rivers. Um, but they have been absolutely terrible injury luck-wise. But they dodged a bullet with Trey Young. It turned out to be just a grade two sprain on his left ankle. So once swelling and pain subsides, it'll be able to play. So it goes from four to six weeks to maybe one to two. I mean, the Hawks took the measures to rule him out this weekend. So rule him out today and tomorrow. But they didn't go any further than that. So which means that he could play in a week, which is huge for Atlanta because they really needed that. Um, Zach Levine is currently in health and safety protocols, which is why he's not there for the Bulls. Um, I think he had a close contact to a COVID positive. And so he is out 10 or 14 days. Um, and it broke a few days ago. So he should probably have anywhere from probably five to seven days, if my memory serves me correctly, on his sentence, for lack of a better term. And having a missed game since he's been gone, the Bulls have fallen down the standings. They've gone from in the play-in to out of the play-in. Simultaneously, Washington is going insane. Like I said, Washington has won six straight. Now, I watch the Pelicans. Many of you don't, but I do. You really should if you appreciate basketball because Zion is a marvel. But I watch the Pelicans every game, every joke of every game. That is the most single frustrating basketball team I've ever seen in my life. Because if you see, you see the talent. It's it's obvious. It's there. It's staring you in the face. You have the highest scoring duo in the NBA by total points in Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. I believe B.I. and Zion are in the top three in terms of average uh, between two teammates. They are insane. Lonzo Ball is there. Eric Bledsoe, when he's hitting his shots, is there. Steven Adams, you know what he's about. Now they're discovering guys off the bench like Najee Marshall. They had Josh Hart. They had Nikki Alexander-Walker. They had a lot of guys who you think would make them a playoff team. They should be a playoff team. And instead, they're three games out of 10th because they don't play defense, which is odd because they hire Stan Van Gundy, who coaches defense a lot. So why are the Pelicans the 11th seed? Because your best two players don't play defense. Brandon Ingram has no interest in defense. Zion has no real interest in defense. And so you are the 11th seed, several games under 500 with two all-star level players. And a, a guy who's going to demand a lot of money on the restricted free agent market in, Zion, in Lonzo Ball. They are very up and down. Now, if you, you told me put money on where they make it, yeah. Because you play Golden State three times towards the end of the year. And the Pelicans are having an easier-ish schedule later down the season than they had in the middle of the season when they really started to falter and trip and stumble over themselves. So that is a team to watch. I will keep my eye on the Pelicans. We could be back here next week saying it's one game. You know, the Pelicans win two or three in a row because they played decent defense. They did last night versus Orlando, held them to 100 points, basically, and beat them by 35. The Pelicans are going to score. It's just uh, you might score more. Like when they played Brooklyn, Brooklyn scored 135 points. The Pelicans only lost by like six. They scored 127 or something of that nature. And so they're going to be able to score. It's just a matter of whether they can commit to the defensive end, which is something that, that Stan Van Gundy was allegedly there to brought in to do. But up next, we're going to talk about 
the proposed and failed Super League. Alrighty guys, and we are back and now we're going to shift to a little international soccer and talk about what's going down or went down or used to be down with the Super League. I mean, honestly, I plan on coming on the show and talking about, wow, this is going to be so amazing and how we could translate to different sports and could we see it in other sporting leagues around the world and especially American sports. I was going to throw out, you know, what if the top 16 programs in college football just said, screw the NCAA, we're going to do it our way. What if the schools, you know, the top school, the top programs in the NBA say, screw, we're going to do it our way or the top NFL owners, you know, get together and pool the money and do it their way. Man, I had all kind of crazy ideas and then the Super League, well, dissolved almost as fast as it came the super league in and of itself was supposed to be a european soccer league its purpose was basically to keep the money together so the euro league is the euro league you know wait for stuff like that well they have bad teams in those things and those bad teams drain a little of the money out so when they slow all the money around etc 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 it's a bunch of revenue sharing complicated math stuff but Let's just say so like it's all into the play football. They have revenue sharing. So Alabama effectively helps pays for Vanderbilt's football program. So even though Vanderbilt doesn't print money like Bama does due, due to revenue sharing, Bama has to pay basically pretty penny to Vanderbilt every year to help pay for their program. Well, that's similar to what it's like in over in EuroLeague and the Euro, in European soccer. Is that when you're in these leagues together, you have to put in a certain amount of money into the revenue sharing pot. So a AC Milan has to pay for a much smaller program. A Juventus has to pay for a smaller operation, in essence, to keep the league going. Well, these 16 teams came together and said, screw that. We're not doing that anymore. We're going to do it our way. We're going to keep the money we're going to make from these super games. We're going to play each other 16 times. Winner is the best team in Europe because these were some of the best teams in the world had decided to come together. Well, that fell apart rather quickly, almost like a domino effect. So the English teams pulled out first. And the reason why teams are starting to pull out and succumb is because of fan pressure and honestly international pressure because if this is a bad person around the world like i said what if the top football programs in college decided we're done with the vanderbilt of the world with these other small programs we're going to split out and do our own thing well it's going to screw the rest of the NCAA because a lot of the vision and a lot of the attendance for these games are not the eyeballs are for those 16 programs for the Miamis, for the Bamas, for the LSUs, for the USC's, for the Michigan's, for the Ohio State's, for the Texas's, for the Oklahoma's of the world. A lot of the eyeballs are for those teams. So when Oklahoma, Kansas, biggest gate draw, Kansas makes the most money when Texas comes to town, when Oklahoma comes to town, um, Georgia, not Georgia, or Georgia probably split too, but Vanderbilt makes the most money when LSU came to town because LSU drunk the city dry before 11 a.m. The game started at 11 a.m. They drunk the city dry prior to 11 a.m. So Vanderbilt made probably their most money they're going to make on a college football weekend when LSU came to town. 
if that LSU check is gone, Vanderbilt may have to close up shop. And so the fans internationally pressure these teams to start backing out for that very reason. A lot of these smaller programs, a lot of these smaller teams, that's not the Manchester United, Manchester City, Juventus, Real Madrid, FC Barcelona. A lot of their biggest paydays for their revenue and even for the fans opportunity to see these stars is two or three times a year where they come play, you know, on the road at these smaller programs. And so due to that, they are basically blowing the Super League up from the inside and canceling what I thought was, I mean, I was over the moon. I'm like, my God, the matchups from this thing is going to be great every week. They're going to get Messi Ronaldo every year. <laughs> Mbappe is going to, odds are, get on Real Madrid. They're going to play Ronaldo and Messi. Like, what the, like, this is your dream. You're going to get dream matchups every year that's not divided by a country. That's not divided by what you know european league you're in are you in the euro league are you after this cup after that cup like no they're gonna be at each other's neck to win the super league cup every year and then of course it fell apart because greed and money and smaller schools and smaller programs not schools but smaller teams crying out saying that it's unfair and so the league's gonna fall apart i'm very disappointed um i don't talk a lot of international soccer but i was really looking forward to this thing um, and like I said, I am incredibly disappointed. I hope they can figure out a way to get it, but I I, I don't think it's gonna happen. Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm disappointed. I I'm honestly upset about it. I really was looking forward to this. Like I said, I'm not a huge international soccer talker, but I do watch it. I love when the USA are in the uh, World Cup, which I may never see again. But um. Yeah, I, I'm very disappointed in the Super League. I thought it was going to be absolutely spectacular. But, of course, it will not come to fruition. And, well, it's pretty upsetting, honestly. I think it could work, but hey, what do I know? Now, up next, we're going to shift a little bit into the combat sports world. Welcome back in, and now we're going to shift to a little bit of combat sports talk. The reason why I didn't say just UFC, the reason why I didn't say just boxing, is because it won't be just UFC, it won't be just boxing. It has to be a little bit of a mix of both. Um, so, over the past week, uh, one of the bigger names floating around the world of fighting is Logan Paul as he knocks out Ben Askren in the first round of their boxing match on that new streaming service, Triller. Or thriller, thriller, one of the two. Um, Snoop Dogg's Fight Club basically is what's running it. Snoop does the announcing, um, uh, R-rated announcing. Uh, there's no, you know, FCC guidelines where you can't curse on TV. Work for Disney, work for Fox, etc. Um, a lot of f-bombs, stuff like that. But, I mean, it's, it's very, I say, R-rated announcing because it's it's an online streaming platform. They don't have to abide by the FCC. I actually like it that way because it's uncut, it's raw. It's whatever Snoop is saying at the time. You know, that's what he's saying at the time. And so Logan Paul's fights, or the Paul brothers' fights in general, have become have become um, fodder and one of the main services for that streaming service. Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. fight was on Triller and also announced by 
uh, Snoop Dogg, Nate Robinson versus the Paul brother was on there as well. Same fight card on there as well. Um, and now Logan Paul has become probably the biggest star for the service. But he knocked out Ben Askren in the first round. Um, Logan Paul is a legit fighter. I wouldn't say he's he's not a championship fighter. He's not, he's not a prize fighter. But he's a legit fighter in the sense of you're going to have to know how to fight to fight him. You're going to know how to box to fight him. Um, he's a little wild. His feet aren't great. His left hand is purely there to set up his right. There's no damage behind his left hand. He's just trying to throw that big overhand right and knock you out. No, uh, Ben Askren is over the hill. Ben Askren, he only, took, he only took the fight if he 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 laughed. He said if he knew he was gonna get knocked out, he wouldn't have taken it. He said every other scenario, it wasn't gonna be that bad, or he was gonna win. And so he took the payday, you know, a million dollar payday. He said he wasn't gonna get anywhere else. Uh, he took it, and so you know he he unfortunately he was knocked out. Now Logan Paul has a problem, and the problem is people are now saying oh he's ducking real fighters because i mean he is he's had three quote-unquote professional fights um those three professional fights involve a another youtuber which not the world's best competition a former basketball player nate robinson not the world's best competition and Ben Askren, who was the over-the-hill MMA wrestler, not the world's best competition. So now people are starting to say, okay, fight either a current MMA guy, fight an actual boxer, or don't fight anybody because you, you, your fight needs some legitimacy to keep having people buy pay-per-view streams to something. They have to keep having. They have to have some form of legitimacy. Now I'm I'm not saying go out and challenge you know the best boxer on planet Earth. Um. Don't go out and challenge every single person on, you know, every single box club. Because he's not, he's not a championship level fighter. But your fights have to have more legitimacy for people to keep, for people to continue to buy them. Now, he was in a Twitter exchange or social media exchange with Daniel Cormier. Cormier shut that down. And so now he is in the Tyrone Woodley business. Now, that's a legitimate fight. Tyrone Woodley is a striker. He's a kickboxer, and so putting him in a boxing ring against you would be legitimate. You guys' weights are very similar. His style works, and so that'd be a legitimate fight for Logan Paul to do race Tyrone Woodley. And, you know, again, like I said, fighting actual fighters would help. Fighting actual boxers would help. I'm not saying fight the cream of the crop, but you can fight a mid-level boxer um, on Triller or whatever. Um... Guarantee him a three million dollar, four million dollar payday, and he'll probably fight you on Triller, uh, which again is your domain. And if your goal is to be a boxer and to make millions of dollars from boxing, beating an actual boxer, beating a Tyron Woodley, beating somebody that else is very active in the game would help you solidify that goal. Now, Logan Paul's younger brother, Jake Paul, is going to fight Floyd Mayweather on May the 7th, May the 5th, March the 5th, something like that. May the 5th, I want to say. Uh, also on Triller. And he is going to do an exhibition-style fight. Now, Jake won't touch Floyd. Finn Floyd knows it. Floyd didn't even care about the weight difference. I believe Jake's like 20 pounds heavier than Floyd. Floyd didn't even care. Um, they set a max weight on it, like some, they put a max weight on the fight. They didn't even put like a weight class. They said you can't go, you can't be bigger than this. Um, 
Floyd's gonna go in there and do what he does. He's gonna dance. He's gonna throw a couple of pop shots, you know. And he always he said about Connor, he said Connor could take a punch, but Connor couldn't throw a punch. And he took a big a couple of big shots, honestly, from Connor where people say, Oh, well, these were big shots. But before I walked through them because they weren't really that hard of punches. He said he's he's not a really great puncher. And I expect Jake Paul to be the same. Not really a great puncher. So if if he gets solid contact on Floyd, I expect Floyd to walk through them, outbox him, outclass him, and would probably be a six to eight round exhibition. And then collect his check at the end of the night and his W and go home. Um, Floyd's going to dominate, like I said, Jake Paul. I don't expect Jake to get one clean shot on him, in all honesty. But that'll be something definitely to watch. But on the UFC MMA side of things, UFC is back. And by UFC is back, I mean UFC is back. So obviously, uh, WWE recently just put WrestleMania on in Tampa, Florida with crowds for the first time in a very long time. We have breaking news into the show. Uh, the Cleveland Browns have decided to pick up Baker Mayfield's fifth year option. So that means he is under contract for this year and next year. Uh, after that, he has no more contract left. Uh, so they'll have to obviously go through a negotiation process, etc., etc., in order to figure that out and what they're going to do with him contractually. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of breaking news there. Baker Mayfield's fifth-year option has finally, honestly, been picked up by the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I mean, Sam Donalds was picked up by the Carolina Panthers before Baker Mayfield was picked up by the Cleveland Browns. So I'm not sure if they were negotiating a contract, uh, trying to avoid it, basically, and it ultimately did not work out. But... Baker Mayfield is officially on the contract with the Cleveland Browns through January, uh, not January, but through 2022 uh, season. So huge news there in the NFL. Not huge, but pretty significant news there in the NFL. But back to UFC 261, which is obviously headlined by Usman Masvidal 2. So um, it was weird. Masvidal, they just showed uh, when the Strike Force invasion came over. And it was Masvidal, it was Daniel Cormier, it was a couple of other guys that all arrived like on the same card. They were all champions in Strike Force. The Daniel Cormier was holding the heavyweight championship. Masvidal was a champion in his weight class. They were all, you know, champions are super, super high contenders in Strike Force. And then they all came over to UFC at the same time. So this one is obviously highlighted by Usman and Masvidal, but they have some other good fights on this card, especially on the main card. They have of the women's flyweight. They have the title fight with Valentina Shevchenko and Jessica Andrade. So that is going to be a hell of a war between those two ladies. You've got Willie Zhang and Rose Namajunas. She's going to be, I never forget her, I never get her last name right ever. So excuse me for that. Um, that is going to be a war as well. But Usman and Masvidal both make weight. So the, uh, the fight is officially on. It is going to be the first one in front of crowds, which is the huge news. They are going to be in front of a packed house in Jacksonville. Uh, Dana White said it's sold out in minutes. Um, 
you know, and he's obviously he's putting one on in Texas as well, which was say, you know, it also sold out in minutes. So this is huge for Dana White. Uh, they aren't requiring face coverings. They, uh, but you know, of course, people are urging, you know, caution. You know, if you're gonna go to the fight, use a face mask. But Dana White's not going to make you use a face mask upon entry. But, but the face mask will be provided. So even though UFC, if you decide, you know what, man, I'm suited and booted, I'm gonna go to this event and I'm not gonna wear a damn face mask. I don't want to because I've been in Florida my whole life and I'm not about to do it now. Dana White's not gonna make you leave. Uh, if you don't want to wear a face mask, you don't have to wear a face mask. So again, they will be provided for you, but you don't have to wear one. So I expect to see a lot of people without them, but this will be a huge fight for Usman, for Masvidal, it's for the title. They fought before on like something like six days notice. Like Masvidal, like the guy Usman was supposed to fight either had COVID or got injured. And so Masvidal jumped in on five, six days notice and jumped into the fight. And he said himself, he was like, I was happened to be in the middle of a camp for something else and jumped in this fight, it was a title fight, he jumped into it. He had a puncher's chance, but he never really got that punch off and Usman won fairly handedly. So now that they've seen each other, now that Masvidal has had a real camp, I'm interested to see how this fight goes. I would still pick Usman just because in any combat sport, champion's advantage. So I know it's not an official thing, but pretty much a champion doesn't lose the belt unless he either gets knocked out, submitted, or flat out dominated for five rounds and the refs have no choice, scorecard keepers have no choice. If it's close, the champion's gonna get the benefit of the doubt, more than likely. And so if Usman wants to win, he's gonna probably have to stop, uh, not Usman, if Masvidal wants to win, he's probably gonna have to stop Usman, which is gonna be very hard to do. Usman's 18 and one. And we've seen Masvidal get stopped. We've also seen Masvidal pull off crazy stops of other people, like the flying knee to Ben Askren in five seconds. I mean, he, they literally, like, they were talking before. They both were John. And then Masvidal runs up, jumps. Uh, Askren goes for a takedown. He's a wrestler. And he drops his face right into Masvidal's flying knee. And Askren went to sleep. It took all of about seven to eight seconds. So... That is the kind of electricity that Masvidal possesses. He's not going to get that kind of clean opportunity against Usman, more than likely. So he's going to have to be incredibly careful in how he does things and how he does anything, really. But if I had to pick one, I would go with Usman due to champion's advantage. But up next, we're going to move to Thanks for Last, which is going to be a thank you to all of you. and welcome back in um this is a little different best for last than normal so usually best for last i have some cool sports topic i want to talk about or you know it's honoring a person so it's maybe honoring a kobe bryant situation um you know it's honoring lebron for something whatever brady whatever um but in this scenario or in this best for last actually it is a thank you to all of you um for supporting the podcast supporting the twitter page now Instagram uh, at J Time Sports for both of those, and you know, I mean, yesterday I had my first semi-viral tweet. Um, DK Metcalf retweeted me. Uh, shout out DK for um, 
Geno Smith being re-signed by the Seahawks. It was like a very mundane tweet. It's just I found the information out, tweeted it out, whatever with all my life. And then looked down and they said retweeted by DK Metcalf. It was like insane. Um and of course it was on his page, like his followers liked, retweeted, commented. It was like my first like semi-viral tweet. Uh, and I've been doing this for over a year, basically. I think I had another one pick up Lil's theme too, but this is the first one that was like legit. A star saw it, retweeted it, etc. Um, so that was pretty awesome, actually. Um, so thank you to DK for that. Um, just thank you guys in general for supporting anything of that nature. Um, and I love doing this. I'm gonna continue to do this as long as I am able. Uh, this is pretty fun for me, actually. I have a lot of esports thoughts floating in my head. So it's nice to get them out, uh, especially in a podcast form where it's just me talking. You know, it's just me ranting. Uh, it's kind of funny. Honestly, a lot of the time I'll have an idea. I, I write down a topic list the night before and I'll run through it in order. Um, but then I may not even have points on the page I get to. I have points on the page I don't get to. It's it's crazy um, doing this every week. And so I cannot wait for football season. That's when I have my most fun doing this. To be completely honest, I might have a lot of fun on Friday mornings after football season or Thursday nights, depending on schedule uh, after football season. So I have a lot of fun. But uh, I thank you guys for continuing to support. Uh, I, I love all of you, in all honesty. And I hope you guys continue to support. Uh, tell your friends about us. Remember, we're now on Instagram at JTime Sports as well. I know some of you guys don't use Twitter. And so, um, again, at JTime Sports on Twitter and at JTime Sports on Instagram. And DM me ideas. I'm open to them. Comment at me. Uh, whatever. I, like I said, I, I appreciate all the support. Uh, tell your friends about us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So, definitely let those guys know. I hope you guys have a great weekend. And this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.